Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello, everybody. I'm Julie, and here we have episode 255 of Forgotten Classics, where we finally come to grips with the actual People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. First, though, we will have a trip down memory lane to a podcast highlight that I've talked about before, but that is a continual favorite of mine, and that is KCRW's Martini Shot. I do want to say that KCRW is one of the best public radio stations I can imagine. They have the business, the treatment, this, a variety of other things that I can't think of right at the moment. But a lot of these, of course, focus around show business. I say, of course, but that doesn't mean you know why I'm saying it. They are based in Los Angeles, California. So show business is Hollywood's bread and butter, and they are going to talk about it. Rob Long has a very interesting viewpoint. He only talks for two to three minutes. So they're concise, they're quick, they're funny. They're to the point in that he is in show business. He's a writer. He wrote for Cheers. He's written for a number of other shows. He's now a producer and director and creator of shows. So as you go through the weeks listening to him, you also fall into that rhythm of the entertainment business. Oh, yeah, it's pilot season again. Oh, yeah, it's renewal season again. Oh, yeah, it's time for that first show to come out again. And he always seems to have something new to say. He has a very common sense perspective about the whole thing. And I think I mentioned he's funny. If you have not tried him, definitely do. He is somebody who I always look for every week. He is someone who every Thursday, I'm looking to see if Martini Shot is downloading. You'll like it. Give it a try. Now back to the people of the mist. We have gone through hell and high water, it seems like, to get to this plateau where the people of the mist are. Now we're going to find out what it is that Soa needed Otter and Juana for specifically to get access to all those rubies. We've seen the people. They are huge. They look like giants. And they look kind of threatening. Ready for the showdown? I know you are. Come on. Dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 20 The Coming of Akka Leonard turned and looked at his companions with something like dismay written on his face. What is to be done now? he said. We must wait for them until they come near, answered Juana. Then Otter and I are to meet them alone, and I will sing the song which Soa has taught me. Do not be afraid. I have learned my lesson, and if things go right, they will think that we are their lost gods. Or at least so Soa says. Yes, if things go right. But what if they don't? Then goodbye answered Juana with a shrug of her shoulders. At any rate, I must get ready for the experiment. Come, Soa, bring the bundle to those rocks over there. Quick, stop a minute. I forgot, Mr. Outram, you must lend me that ruby. I have to make use of it. Leonard handed over the ruby, 
reflecting that he would probably never see it again, since it seemed almost certain that one of the great people would steal it. However, at the moment he was thinking of that which was far above rubies, namely of what chance they had of escaping with their lives. So soon as she had possession of the stone, Juana ran to a little ring of boulders that were scattered on the plain about fifty paces from them, followed by Soa, who carried a bundle in her hand. Ten minutes passed, and Soa appeared from behind the shelter of stones and beckoned to them. Advancing in obedience to her summons, they saw a curious sight. Standing in the ring of rocks was Juana, but Juana transformed. She wore a white robe cut low in the neck and shoulders. Indeed, it was the Arab dress in which she had escaped from the slave camp that Soa had brought with them in preparation for this moment of trial. Nor was this all, for Juana had loosened her dark hair, which was of great length and unusual beauty, so that it hung about her almost to her knees, and upon her forehead, gleaming like a red eye, was set the great ruby, ingeniously fastened thereto by Soa in a band of linen pierced in its center to the size of the stone. "'Behold the goddess, and do homage,' said Juana with mock solemnity." although Leonard could see that she was trembling with excitement. I do not quite understand what you are going to do, but you look the part well, he answered shortly. And indeed, until that moment, he had never known how beautiful she was. Juana blushed a little at the evident admiration in his eyes. Then, turning to the dwarf, she said, Now, Otter, you must make ready, too, and remember what Soa told you. Whatever you see or hear, you are not to open your mouth. Walk side by side with me and do as I do, that is all. Otter grunted in assent and proceeded to make ready. The process was simple, consisting only in the shedding of his coat and trousers, an old pair of Leonard's, very much cut down, which left him naked except for a mucha that he wore beneath them in accordance with native custom. What does all this mean? asked the headman Peter, who, like his companions, was trembling with fear. It means, said Juana, that Otter and I are impersonating the gods of this people, Peter. If they receive us as gods, it is well. If not, we are doomed. Be careful. Should we be so received, lest any of you betray the trick? Be wise and silent, I say, and do what we shall tell you from time to time if you would live to look upon the sun." Peter fell back astonished, while Leonard and Francisco turned their attention to the approaching soldiers of the People of the Mist. They advanced slowly and in silence, but their measured treads shook the earth. At last they halted about a hundred and fifty yards away, representing a truly terrifying spectacle to the little band among the rocks. So far as Leonard could see, there was not a man among them who stood less than six feet in height, and they were broad in proportion, hugely made. In appearance, they were neither handsome nor repulsive, but solemn-looking, large-eyed, thick-haired, between black and yellow in hue, and wearing an expression of dreadful calm, like the calm of an archaic statue. For the rest, they seemed to be well-disciplined, each company being under the command of a captain, who in addition to his arms carried a trumpet fashioned from a wild bull's horn. 
The regiment stood silent, gazing at the group of strangers, or rather at the boulders behind which they were concealed. In the center of their hollow square was a knot of men, one of them young and huge even in comparison with his companions. This man Leonard took to be a chief or king. Behind were orderlies and counselors, and before him three aged persons of stately appearance and a cruel cast of countenance. These men were naked to the waist and unarmed, except for a knife or hanger fixed at the girdle. On their broad breasts, covering more than half the skin surface, the head of a huge snake was tattooed in vivid blue. Evidently, they were medicine men or priests. While the adventurers watched and wondered, the king or chief issued an order to his attendants, who ran to the corners of the square and called it aloud. Then he raised his great spear, and every captain blew upon his horn, making a deafening sound. Now the enemy stood still for a while, staring towards the stones, and the three medicine men drew near to the chief in the center of the square and talked with him as though debating what should be done. This is our chance, said Juana excitedly. If once they attack us, it will be all over. A single volley of arrows would kill every one of us. Come, Otter. No, no, said Leonard. I am afraid of your venturing yourself among those savages. The danger is too great. Danger? Can the danger be more than it is here? In a minute we may all be dead. Nonsense, I will go. I know what to do and have made up my mind to it. Do not fear for me. Remember, if the worst comes to the worst, I have the means to protect myself. You are not afraid to come, are you, Otter? No, shepherdess, said the dwarf. Here all roads are alike. Leonard thought a while. Bitterly did he reproach himself in that he had been the cause of leading his ward into such a position. But now there was no help for it. She must go. And, after all, it could make no difference if she were killed or captured five minutes hence or half an hour later. But Francisco, who could not take such a philosophical view of the situation, implored her not to venture herself alone among these horrible savages. "'Go if you like, Juana.' said Leonard, not heeding the priest's importunities. If anything happens, I will try to avenge you before I follow. Go, but forgive me. What have I to forgive? she said, looking at him with shining eyes. Did you not once dare a greater danger for me? Yes, go, shepherdess, said Soa, who till now had been sitting staring with all her eyes at the three aged men in the center of the square. There is little to fear if this fool of a dwarf will but keep his tongue silent. I know my people, and I tell you that if you sing that song and say the words which I have taught you, you and the black one here shall be proclaimed gods of the land. But be swift, for the soldiers are about to shoot. As Soa spoke, Leonard saw that the conference in the square had come to an end. The messengers were calling commands to the captains, which the captains repeated to the soldiers, and then followed a mighty rattling of quivers. Another instant, and the light shone upon many hundreds of arrowheads, every one of which was pointed toward them. Juana saw also, and springing forward onto a rock, stood there for a moment in the full glare of the sun. 
Instantly a murmur went up from the host. A great voice called a command. The barbs of steel flickered like innumerable stars and sank downward. Now Otter, naked except for his mucha, sprang onto the rock by Juana's side, and the murmurs of the soldiers of the great people grew into a hoarse roar of astonishment and dismay. Wonder had turned to fear, though why this multitude of warriors should fear a lovely white girl and a black dwarf was not apparent. For a moment the ill-assorted pair stood together on the rock, then Juana leapt to the plain, Otter following her. For twenty yards or so she walked in silence, holding the dwarf by the hand. Then suddenly she burst into singing wild and sweet. This was the refrain of the sacred song, which she sang in the ancient language of the people of the mist, the tongue that Soa had taught her as a child. I do but sleep. Have ye wept for me a while? Hush! I did but sleep. I shall awake my people. I am not dead. Nor can I ever die. See, I have but slept. See, I come again, made beautiful. Have ye not seen me in the faces of the children? Have ye not heard me in the voices of the children? Look on me now, the sleeper arisen. Look on me who wandered, whose name is the dawning. Why have ye mourned me, the sleeper awakened? Thus she sang ever more sweetly and louder, till her voice rang through the still air like the song of a bird in winter. Hushed were the companies of great men as she drew toward them with slow gliding steps, hushed with fear and wonder, as though her presence awoke a memory or fulfilled a promise. Now she was in front of their foremost rank, and halting there was silent for a moment. Then she changed her song. Will ye not greet me, children of my children? Have ye forgotten the promise of the dead? Shall I return to the dreamland whence I wander? Will ye refuse me, the mother of the snake? The soldiers looked on one another and murmured each to each. Now she saw that they understood her words and were terror-stricken by them. For another moment there was silence. Then suddenly the three priests, or medicine men, who had drawn near together, passed through the ranks and stood before her, accompanied by the warrior chief. Then one of them, the most aged, a man who must have numbered ninety years, spoke in the midst of an intense silence. To Juana's joy, as they had understood her, so she understood him, for his language was the same that Soa taught her many years before and in which, for the sake of practice, they had always conversed together for the last two months. Art thou woman or spirit? asked the ancient priest. I am both woman and spirit, she answered. And he with thee, whom we know of, went on the priest, pointing tremblingly to Otter. Is he God or man? He is both God and man, she answered. And those yonder, who are they? They are our ministers and servants, white for the white and black for the black, the companions of our wanderings, men and not spirits. The three priests consulted together, while the chief looked on Juana's beauty with wondering eyes. Then the oldest of them spoke again. 
tellest us in our own tongue of things that have long been hidden, though perchance they are remembered. Either, O beautiful, thou hast learned these things and liest to us, and then food are ye all for the snake against whom thou dost blaspheme. Or ye are gods indeed, and as gods ye shall be worshipped. Tell us now thy name and the name of yonder dwarf, of whom we know. I am named the shepherdess of heaven among men. He is named Otter, dweller in the waters among men. Once we had other names. Tell us the other names, O shepherdess. Once in the far past I was named Brightness. I was named Dawn. I was named Daylight. Once in the far past he was named Silence. He was named Terror. He was named Darkness. Yet at the beginning we had other names. Perchance ye know them, Minister of the Snake. Perchance we know them, O thou who art named Shepherdess of Heaven. O thou who wert named Brightness and Dawn and Daylight. O thou who art named Dweller in the Waters and wert named Silence and Terror and Darkness. Perchance we know them although they be known to few and are never spoken save in utter gloom and with hidden head. But do ye know them, those names of the beginning? For if ye know them not, O beautiful, ye lie and ye blaspheme, and ye are food for the snake. Seldom through all the years have those holy names been spoken, save in utter darkness and with covered heads, Juana answered boldly. But now is the new hour, the hour of the coming, and now there shall be called aloud in the light of day from open lips and with uplifted eyes. Hearken, children of the snake, these are the names by which we were known in the beginning. Akka is my name, the mother of the snake. Jal is he named, who is the snake. Say, do ye know us now? As these words rang on her lips, a groan of terror burst from every man who heard them. Then the aged priest cried aloud, Down on your faces, ye children of the snake! Worship all ye people of the spear, dwellers in the mist. Akka, the queen immortal, has come home again. Jal, the god, has put on the flesh of man. Ulfan, lay down thy kingship, it is his. Ye priests, throw wide the temples. They are theirs. Worship the mother. Do honor to the god. The multitude heard and prostrated themselves like a single man, every one of them crying in a shout of thunder. Akka, the queen of life, has come. Jala, the doom god, has put on flesh. Worship the mother. Do honor to the god. It was as though the army had been suddenly smitten with death, and of the hundreds there, Juana and Otter alone were left standing. There was one exception, however, and that was Olfan, the warrior chief who remained upon his feet, not seeming to relish the command to abdicate his authority, thus brusquely in favor of a dwarf, were he god or man. Otter, who was utterly bewildered, not comprehending a word of what had been said, and being unable to fathom the meaning of these strange antics, 
pointed at the chief with his spear by way of calling Juana's attention to the fact that he was still standing. But the great man interpreted the action otherwise. Evidently, he thought that the newly arrived god was invoking destruction on him. His pride yielded to his superstition, and he sank to his knees also. When the sound of the worshipping had passed away, Juana spoke again, addressing the old priest. "'Rise, my child,' she said. He might well have been her great-grandfather. "'And rise, all ye soldiers of the spear and servants of the snake, and hear my words. Ye know me now, ye know me by the holy name, ye know me by the fashion of my face, and by the red stone that gleams upon my brow.' In the beginning my blood fell yonder, and was frozen into gems such as these, which to-day ye offer yearly to him who is my child and slew me. Now the fate is accomplished, and his reign is finished. I come with him indeed, and he is still a god, but he loves me as a son again, and bows the knee to me in service. Enough! Ye know the ancient tale that is fulfilled this day. Now we pass on towards our city, there to sojourn with you a while, and to proclaim the law of the ending. And we pass alone. There in our city let a place be made ready for us, a place apart, but nigh to the temple, and let food be brought to the place that my servants may eat. At the gates of the city also let men be waiting to bear us to that dwelling." Let none spy upon us, lest an evil fate attend you all, and let none be disobedient, lest we pass from you back to the land of death and dreams. Perchance we shall not tarry for long. Perchance we come to bring a blessing and to depart again. Therefore, hasten to do our bidding, and do it all. For this time, farewell, my servants." Having spoken thus with much dignity, accompanied by Otter, whose hand she held as before, Juana withdrew herself, stepping backwards very slowly toward the circle of rocks, and singing as she went. Chapter 21 The Folly of Otter Juana and Otter gained the circle of rocks where the little band lay watching and wonderstruck. That is all except Soa, who sat apart brooding, her arms clasped upon her breast. Things had befallen as she expected, as they must befall indeed, provided that Juana did not forget her lesson or show fear, and that the dwarf did nothing foolish. But Soa knew well enough that this was but the beginning of the struggle, and that though it might be comparatively easy for Juana and Otter to enter the city and impose themselves upon its superstition-haunted people, as the incarnations of their fabled gods, the maintenance of the imposture was a very different matter. Moreover, she knew, should they be discovered, that escape would be impossible, or at the best, that it must be most difficult. Therefore she sat apart and brooded, for notwithstanding their present triumph, her heart foreboded evil. But with the others it was different. They had heard the singing, they had seen the regiment of great men prostrate themselves, and the sound of worshipping had come to their ears like thunder. But of the why and wherefore of it all they could only guess. "'What has happened?' said Leonard eagerly. "'Your initiation seems to have come off well.' "'Bid the men fall back, and I will tell you,' Juana answered. Leonard did so. 
but instead of speaking she broke into hysterical laughter. Her nerves had been overstrained, and now they sought relief thus. "'You must all be very respectful to Otter and myself,' she said at length, "'for we really are gods. Don't look shocked, Francisco. I begin to believe in it myself.' We have only just found it out, but I assure you it is a fact. They accepted us fully, and that after not more than five minutes cross-examination. Listen, and she told them all that had passed. While she was speaking, the regiment began to move, no longer in a square, but in a formation of companies. Company by company it rushed past them, shaking the earth with its footsteps, and as each section went by it tossed its spears into the air as a salute, crying, Glory to the mother! Glory to the snake! and fled on toward the city. At length the story was done and the regiment was gone. Well, said Leonard, so far so good. Juana, you are the bravest and cleverest girl in the whole world. Most young women would have forgotten everything and gone into hysterics at the critical point. I kept them till afterwards, she answered demurely. As for being brave and clever, I only repeated what Soa taught me like a parrot. You see, I knew that I should be killed if I made any mistake, and such knowledge sharpens the memory. All I have to say is, if the snake they talk about so much is anything like those which are tattooed upon the old priest's breasts, I have no wish to make a nearer acquaintance with it. I hate snakes. There, don't say any more. For both Leonard and Francisca were breaking out into fresh protestations of gratitude and admiration. If you want to thank anybody, thank Soa. And so I do said Leonard heartily, for his spirits had risen in a most wonderful manner. So you have told us the truth, and you have managed well, and I thank you. Did you take me then for a liar? The woman answered, fixing her gloomy eyes upon Leonard's face. I told you the truth, deliverer, when I said that my people would accept the shepherdess and this black dog of yours as their gods. But did I not tell you also that the death of the rest of us lies in the matter? If not, I say so now. You have not been named a god-deliverer, nor has yonder bald pate. The natives called Francisco thus because of his tonsure. And your black dog will betray you by his yapping. When you look down the jaws of the snake, remember then that Soa told you the truth, deliverer. Perchance you shall find the red stones you seek hidden in his belly, white man. Be silent, said Juana indignantly, and Soa slunk back like a whipped hound. Oh, confound the old woman, put in Leonard with a shiver. She is a black Jonah, and if I have to go inside this snake, I hope it will be a case of ladies first, that is all. I'm sure I don't know what has happened to Soa said Juana. Her native air has a very bad effect upon her temper. Well, the future must look after itself, answered Leonard, snake or no snake. At present we must follow our luck. Otter, listen to me. Do you understand that you are a god, the god of this people? De god, boss. What is a god? Have I not told you, thick head? You are not a man any more. You are a spirit. 
Once, so it seems, you ruled this people in the past, and now you will rule them again. You and the shepherdess are both gods. She is your mother, and you are her child. Yes, boss, no doubt. But once I had another mother, a much uglier one. Otter, cease to talk folly. Else when you are no more a god, I will beat you. Now you are a god, and we are all your servants, except the shepherdess. When you speak to us, you must speak roughly like a great chief to the lowest of his people, calling us dogs and slaves. If you name me boss in public, I will beat you privately when you are no more a god. You will do your best to speak little or not at all, so that none can take hold of your words, which are always foolish. If you say that I am a god, boss, it is enough, for doubtless you have met the gods and know their ways. Though it is strange that none here have told me this before. They must be an ugly people, the gods. But how will it be with the settlement men when they hear I am a great spirit? They will say, does a spirit wait upon a man and call him chief? Does a spirit clean the guns and cook the food of a man? They will ask many such things, and the great people will hear them. And will they think then that I am a god? No, boss. They will know me for a liar and will kill me and all of us. That is true, said Leonard. Then he summoned Peter and the settlement men and addressed them. He told them that the plot had succeeded and that Otter and the shepherdess were accepted as gods of the people of the mist. Because of this, they were left alive and held in honor, who, but for it, would now be dead, riddled through with the arrows of the great people. He explained to them for the second time that it was necessary to the safety of all that this delusion as to the divinity of Otter and the shepherdess should be maintained, since if the slightest suspicion of the fraud crossed the minds of the great people, without doubt they would all be sacrificed as impostors. This was the tale that they must tell. They should say that all of them were hunting game in a far country with himself, Soa, and Francisco, when one night they heard a singing, and by the light of the moon they saw the shepherdess and the dwarf otter coming toward them. Then the shepherdess and otter commanded them to be their servants and travel with them to a new land, and they obeyed them, black and white together, for they saw that they were not mortals. This was the tale that they must tell. Moreover, they must act up to their words if they would continue to look upon the sun. But their first surprise passed. The settlement men, who were quick-witted people, entered into the spirit of the plot readily enough. Indeed, Peter caused them to repeat the story to him, so that he might be sure that they had its details by heart. Then they continued their march toward the city on the hill. The two white men went first, next came Juana and Otter, followed by Soa, and last of all walked the settlement men. An hour's journey brought them to the bank of the river, which, dividing above it, engirdled the town, to reunite near the roadway that they followed. Here canoes were ready to take them across to the island, or rather the peninsula, on which the city was built. On the other side of the river they found priests waiting in the great gateway with two litters that had been prepared for Juana and Otter, respectively. 
This, the further bank, was lined with some thousands of spectators, who, when the divine pair set their feet upon its shores, prostrated themselves, men, women, and children, and burst into a shout of welcome. Juana and Otter took no heed. With such dignity as they could command, and in the dwarf's case it was not much, they entered the litters, drew the hide curtains, and were borne forward swiftly. After them came Leonard, Francisco, and the others, while the population followed in silence. Now the sun was sinking, but enough of daylight was left to show how strange were the place and the people among which they found themselves. The city, indeed, was rudely built of like materials and in similar fashion to the house in the plain that has already been described. But the streets were roughly paved, each habitation stood apart from the other in its own garden, and the gates were of wood fastened together with primitive iron bolts. There were drinking shops, or rather booths, and a large marketplace, which they crossed as they ascended the hill, and where, as they afterward discovered, this people carried on their trade, if trade it could be called, for they had no money and conducted all transactions like other savages upon a principle of barter. As they went, Leonard took note of these things, which to his mind showed clearly that the inhabitants of this city were the degenerate inheritors of some ancient and forgotten civilization. Their fortifications, stone-built houses, drinking shops, and markets indicated this, just as their rude system of theology, with its divinities of light and darkness, or of death and life, each springing from the other, engaged in an eternal struggle, and yet one, was probably the survival of some elaborate nature myth of the early world. But nothing struck him so much as the appearance of the people. In size they were almost giants, a peculiarity which was shared by the women, some of whom measured six feet in height. In common with other uncivilized races, most of these women wore little except a girdle and a goatskin cloak that hung loosely upon their shoulders, displaying their magnificent proportions somewhat freely. They were much handsomer than the men, having splendid solemn eyes, very white teeth, and a remarkable dignity of gait. Their faces, however, wore the same somber look as those of their husbands and brothers, and they did not chatter after the manner of their sex, but contented themselves with pointing out the peculiarities of the strangers in a few brief words to their children or to one another. After crossing the marketplace, the party came to a long and gentle ascent, which terminated at a wall surrounding the lower of the two great buildings that they had seen from the plain. Passing its gates, they halted at the doors of the first of these edifices. Here priests stood with torches. At least they judged them to be priests, from the symbol of the snake's head tattooed upon their naked breasts, ready to conduct them to their lodging, for now the night was closing in rapidly. Soon they found themselves within the walls of a great house, built in the usual way with rough boulders, but on three sides of a square, and enclosing a courtyard in which a fountain bubbled. The furniture of the house was rude but grotesquely carved, and in the courtyard stood a throne, sheltered by a roof of turf, and fashioned of black wood and ivory with feet shaped like those of a human being. Indeed, as they afterward discovered, this was the palace of the king Olfan, who had been summarily ejected by the priests to make room for the newcomers. 
here in this strange dwelling, the attendant priests assigned to them all quarters, the settlement men in one wing, Leonard, Francisco, and Soa in the other, and Juana and Otter in two separate apartments in the body of the building. This arrangement involved the separation of the party, but it was difficult to offer objections, so they were forced to acquiesce in it. Presently, women entered bearing food, boiled corn, milk in bowls, and roasted flesh in plenty, of which Leonard and Francisco ate with thankfulness. Before they went to sleep, Leonard looked into the courtyard and was somewhat alarmed to find that guards were stationed at every door, while in front of those leading to the apartments of Juana and Otter stood a body of priests with torches in their hands. He made an effort to pass through these guards in order to visit Juana, but without a word they lifted their great spears and stopped him, and for that time he abandoned the attempt. "'Why do the priests stand before the door of the shepherdess, Soa?' asked Leonard. "'They guard the palace of the gods,' she answered. "'Unless the gods will it, none may enter there.' "'Say, Soa,' Leonard asked again, "'are you not afraid of being here in your own land?' "'I am very much afraid, Deliverer, "'for if I am found out, then I die. "'Yet many years have gone by since I fled. "'Few live who knew me, and perchance none remember me. "'Also now I do not wear my hair after the fashion of my people,' and therefore I may escape, unless the priests discover me by their magic. And now I would sleep. On the following morning at dawn, Leonard rose and, accompanied by Francisco, walked into the courtyard. This time the soldiers did not try to stop them, but the priests were still standing in front of Juana's door, looking like specters in the gray mist. They went to them and signified by signs that they would worship the queen, but were sternly refused admission in words which they could not understand, but that Soa, who was listening, afterwards translated to them. "'The mother has come to her home,' said the spokesman, "'and might be profaned no more by the eyes of the vulgar. The snake also was in his home, and none should look upon him.' When arguments failed, Leonard tried to force his way through and was met by a huge spear pointed at his throat. How things would have ended, it is difficult to say, had not Juana herself appeared at this juncture, standing between the curtains of the doorway. At the sight of her, the priests and soldiers fell upon their faces, and Leonard had sufficient presence of mind to follow their example, dragging Francisco down beside him. "'What is this tumult?' she asked the guards in their own tongue. "'I tell you what it is, Juana,' said Leonard, rubbing his head upon the ground and speaking in English. If you do not come to an understanding with these scoundrels, you will soon be cut off from all communication with us, and what is more, we shall be cut off too in another way. Will you be so good as to issue an order that we are to be admitted when we like? Juana turned toward the priest and spoke angrily. Who has dared to forbid my servants to come before me and worship me? My will is my own, and I only make it known. It is my will that these white men and yonder black women pass in before me at their pleasure. Your will is our will, mother, said the priests humbly. So they went in, and the curtains were closed behind them. I am so thankful to see you, said Juana. You don't know how dreadfully lonely it has been in this great room all night. "'and I am afraid of those solemn-eyed priests "'who stand round the doors. 
The women who brought me food last evening crawled about the place on all fours like dogs. It was horrible. I am sorry you have been left alone, said Leonard, but you must try to make better arrangements. Soa might sleep with you at any rate. Where's Otter? Let us pay him a visit. I want to see how the god is getting on. Juana went to the door and addressed the priests, saying that she desired to be led before the snake and her servants with her. They demurred a little, then gave way, and all four of them were conducted, first into the courtyard, in which no human being was to be seen, and thence to an adjoining chamber, where a curious sight awaited them. In a huge chair, set upon a dais, sat Otter, looking furious and by no means at ease, while stretched upon the ground in front of him lay four priests who muttered prayers unceasingly. "'Welcome, boss!' he cried in rapture at the sight of Leonard. "'Welcome, shepherdess!' "'You idiot!' answered Leonard in Dutch, but speaking in the most humble voice, and sinking to his knees. "'If, if you will not remember that you are a god, I will pay you out so soon as we are alone. Bid these fellows be gone. The shepherdess will translate for you.' "'Go, dogs!' said Otter, taking the hint. "'Go and bring me food. I would speak with my servant, who is named Bass, and with my mother.' "'These are the words of the snake that he speaks in the holy tongue,' said Juana, and she translated them. The four priests rose, and bowing to the earth, crept backwards from the room. So soon as they were gone, Otter leapt from his throne with an exclamation of rage that caused the others to burst out laughing. "'Laugh, boss, laugh if you will,' said the dwarf, "'for you have never been a god and don't know what it is. "'What think you, boss?' All night long I have sat upon that great stool while these accursed dogs burnt stinking stuff beneath my nostrils and muttered nonsense. One hour more and I should have fallen upon them and killed them, for I have had no meat, and hunger makes me mad. Hush, said Leonard. I hear footsteps. Onto your throne, Otter. Quick, Juana, stand by his side. We will kneel. They had barely time to obey when the curtains were drawn, and a priest entered holding a vessel of wood covered with a cloth. Slowly he crept toward the throne with his head bent almost to his knees. Then, straightening himself suddenly, he lifted up the wooden vessel and cried aloud, "'We bring you food, O snake! Eat and be satisfied!' Otter took the dish and, lifting the cloth, gazed upon its contents hungrily, but with an ever-growing dissatisfaction." "'Son of a dog!' he cried in his own tongue. "'Is this food to set before a man?' And he held the platter downwards, exposing its contents. They were simple, consisting of various sorts of vegetables and watercress, poor in quality, for the season was winter, and all of them uncooked. In the center of this fodder, whether placed there in obedience to some religious tradition or by way of ornament, or perhaps to aid the digestive process of the god, as a tenpenny nail is said to assist that of an ostrich, was a fine ruby stone, not so big indeed as that which Soa had given to Leonard, but still of considerable size and value. Leonard saw it with delight, but not so the dwarf, the selfish promptings of whose stomach caused him to forget that his master had journeyed far to seek such gems as this. 
In the fury of disappointed appetite, he stood upon the footstool of the throne and seizing the ruby, he hurled it at the priest, hitting him fair between the eyes. Am I an eel? he roared. That I should live on water, grass, and red gravel. Then the priest, terrified at the behavior of this strange divinity, picked up the offending gem, to the presence of which he attributed his anger, and fled, never looking behind him. Juana and Francisco were seized with uncontrollable laughter, while even Soa deigned to smile. But Leonard did not smile. Oh, you last descendant of generations of asses, he said bitterly. You ass with four ears and a tenfold bray, what have you done? You have hurled the precious stone at the hand of him who brought it, and now he will bring no more. Had it not been for you, doubtless with every meal such stones would have been offered to you. And though you grew thin, we should all of us have become rich, and that without trouble, tricks, or violence. Forgive me, boss, lamented Otter, but my rage took away my reason, and I forgot. See now what it is to be a god. It is to be fed upon such stuff as would gripe an ox. Oh, boss, I would that these wild men made you a god and left me your servant. And again he gazed with disgust upon the watercress and rows of leathery vegetables resembling turnips. You had better eat them, otter, said Juana, who was still choking with laughter. If you don't, you may get nothing more for days. Evidently, you are supposed to have a small appetite. Then, driven to it by his ravening hunger, the wretched otter fell upon the turnips and munched them sullenly, Leonard rating him all the while for his unequaled stupidity. Scarcely had he finished this meal when there was a stir without, and once again priests entered, headed on this occasion by that same aged man, who had acted as a spokesman when Juana declared herself on the previous day, and who, as they had discovered, was named Nam. In fact, he had many other and much longer names, but as this was the shortest and most convenient of them, they adopted it. It chanced that Leonard was standing by Soa, and when the priest entered, whom she now saw face to face for the first time, he noticed that she started, trembled, and then drew back into the shadow of the throne. Some friend of the old lady's youth, thought Leonard to himself. I hope he won't recognize her, that's all. Nam bent himself in adoration before the gods, then began an address, the substance of which Juana translated from time to time. Bitterly did he grieve, he said, that such an insult had been offered to the snake as the presenting to him among his food of the red stone known as the blood of Aka. The man who had done this folly was doomed to die, if indeed he were not already dead. Well could they understand that the mother and son, having become reconciled, the proffering to Jal of that which reminded him of the sin of long ago was a wickedness that might bring a curse upon the land. Let the snake be appeased. Command had been given that all such stones should be hidden in a secret place by him who had wrought the crime. And as he said... If the man returned alive from that place, he should be slain. But he would not return alive, for to go thither was death, as it should be death henceforth to even mention that stone, of which but one should now be seen in the land, that which the mother wore in memory of the past. 
Oh, Otter, my friend, murmured Leonard to himself. If I don't make you pay for this, my name is not Altram. But enough of the stones, went on Nam. He had come upon a more important matter. That night, an assembly of all the tribe would be held in the great temple an hour before moonrise, that the mother and the snake might take up their royalty in the presence of the people. Thither they would come to please them and their servants at the appointed time. Was this pleasing to the gods? Juana bent her head in assent, and the priest turned to go with many obeisances. But before he went, he spoke again, asking if all things were as the gods desired. Not altogether, my servant, answered Juana. It is our will that these, our other servants, should have free access to us at all times and without question. Also, it is our will that their food should be brought to them with our food. Moreover, it is the desire of the snake that no more grass should be given him to eat, for now in these latter days, having put on the flesh of men, he needs that which will support the flesh. One thing more, my servant, the snake forgives the affront that was offered him, and I command that some of the greatest of the holy stones should be brought to me, that I may look upon the blood which I shed so long ago. "'Alas, it may not be, mother,' answered the priest in tones of sorrow. "'All the stones, both red and blue, have been placed in bags of hide and cast into that place whence they can be brought no more, together with him who offended. Nor can others be gathered at this season of the year, seeing that deep snow covers the place where they lie buried. In the summer, when the sun has melted the snow,' More can be found if your eyes still desire the sight of them. Juana made no reply, and the priest went. Here's a pretty business, said Leonard. That idiot otter has upset everything. We might have become millionaires for the asking, and now we must wait for months before we so much as get sight of a ruby or a sapphire. Nobody answered. Indeed, the whole party were plunged into consternation at the fatal effects of this accident. As for Otter himself, when he understood fully what he had done, he almost wept for grief. "'Who could have known, boss?' he groaned. "'It was the sight of the green food that bewitched me, who have always hated the taste of grass. And now my folly has undone all, and it seems that I must be a god for many months.' if indeed they do not find me out. Never mind, Otter, said Leonard, moved to pity by the dwarf's genuine grief. You have lost the stones, and you will have to find them again somehow. By the way, Soa, why did you start so when the old priest came in? Because he is my father, Deliverer, she answered. Leonard whistled. Here was a new complication. What if Nam should recognize her? Otter, otter, otter. Oh my goodness. You know, I love him. <laughs> he is so sensible that after everything has been explained to him, he says, well, what are you going to tell the guys who've traveled with us? And Leonard's going, oh, yeah, right. Thank you. Good one. 
But on the other hand, he's so concentrated on what's happening right in front of him, very concretely, that the ruby's gone. What are we going to do now? But, you know, to just sit and collect rubies would have been way too easy. Then they would have just left again fairly soon or in the middle of the night. It's got to be a little more work than that for our adventure. Also, what about Soa's revelation? Oh, that guy's my father. I tend to think that even if it had been many years and my daughters were showing up again all older, different-seeming, hardships, etc., that I still would pick up on something, whether it was the way they moved or, you know, something. I know a lot of stories turn on this idea of not being able to recognize someone after so long, but I just, well, I guess I don't like to think that maybe I wouldn't recognize somebody I'd known that well. Now, of course, we're assuming that Soa's father cared enough to know her that well. He was going to marry her to the god and throw her in as a sacrifice. So it might not have been the most loving relationship. So that's going to be very interesting to see. So now we're ended up to our next adventure all the way. Can we get the treasure and get out in one piece? Oh, wait, Ryder Haggard, I love you so much. All right, in other news, oh, I did want to mention Uvula Audio has begun a new book, The King in Yellow. This is a famous book. Well, wait, it's famous in some circles. I only ever heard of it, actually, after I read H.P. Lovecraft's famous essay, again, famous in some circles. Wow, I'm really uh, qualifying all this. So none of this is famous. (laughs) Anyway, H.P. Lovecraft wrote an essay, which I've mentioned before, Supernatural Horror in Literature. He mentioned a ton of stories in it. And some of the stories that he mentioned by a fellow named Robert Chambers are from a book called The King in Yellow. I can't even tell you how disturbing some of these stories are without actually being able to define why they're disturbing, they are just freaking disturbing. Let me just say that, okay? In a good horrorish sort of way. Not blood and guts everywhere, but just that kind of, that chill that comes from things being off balance. Really well done. And we know that Uvula Audio is going to make it sound wonderful. So go by there if you want to hear that. Also, we just published the episode of A Good Story is Hard to Find, which has Jesus, a pilgrimage, discussed. Usually we talk about popular books and movies that we choose, but every quarter or so, we pick either a religious book or movie. And this was Scott's choice. It was really a great one. So go by there if you want to hear that one. And that's all I have on that sort of thing. So that just leaves us with, you know, what's going on around here, which is that we've had, oh man, tons of rain and boy, did we need it. Now the weather's just getting back to where it's going to be in the mid 80s, low 90s, humid, you know, Texas weather heading into the summer. And I'm actually okay with that, as I've mentioned. I will say that personally, (laughs) 
can't remember if I mentioned this to you guys. Sometimes I think about things and then I think, oh, I'm not going to bother them with that. But you know what the heck, since we're talking about stuff, I recently went to the dentist and found out that I'm going to have to have probably, okay, definitely grafts uh, for my gums, my front teeth, Uh, right? Uh, You know, now once the dentist and this perio guy have explained all this to me, I now understand why people who don't have very much money are often shown without their two bottom front teeth. Talk about the teeth that take it on the chin. (laughs) Yeah, because that's where they are for all of us. But uh, anyway, it makes me glad I live in America where we put a big value on teeth. And my husband said, hey, are you kidding me? We will spend this money. And I'm going to try to record enough of this book anyway, a little ahead, that it may not be real obvious. That will be in early June. And then after that, a couple weeks later, we will be driving to see my mama in Florida, which I'm really looking forward to. Haven't seen her for, gosh, a couple of years, maybe three years. You know, it's pretty far away. And I'm pretty excited because that means I get a three-day car trip with Tom, both directions, or two days and other driving. Anyway, and then after we visit her, we will be going up to St. Augustine, and that's where we will take a day to just look around the city, just be alone together, and that will be our official 30th wedding anniversary celebration. So I'm also pretty excited about that. So this should be a lot of fun. I will try to not have it interfere with the podcast. We know how those promises have gone in the past. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And speaking of the podcast, we're about 50% through this book. So it's not quite time to pick the next book, but I'm starting to think about it. I'm not sure if I should go back to Norbert Davis for another one of those funny noir mysteries I noticed when I was reading an old book that I said, I hadn't heard of this before. And I was thinking, ooh, I could read it on the podcast. (laughs) And then I said, wait, you've hardly read any of it. That's when I knew it's time to start thinking of the next book. So if you have any ideas, suggestions, requests, I know some people have given requests that I haven't gotten to yet, but you know, remind me or anything new, bring it up. It just either has to be out of copyright or something where... There isn't already an audio version of it, and we can ask the author if he will give us permission, or she will give us permission. We've had success with that in the past, as you may recall, and I'm perfectly willing to try again or to loop in my cohorts who have volunteered to see if they'll help with it. So think about that. Also, I actually had somebody ask why I wasn't giving my contact information on the podcast if it was because I didn't want anybody contacting me. Oh, au contraire. (laughs) I love it when people contact me. I just felt like it was getting long and drawn out and everybody was sick of it and they all knew where to find me since they'd found the podcast. But with that in mind, I'll give a super fast rundown of you can contact me at julie at glyphnet.com which is G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. I'm on iTunes. I love to get reviews and haven't gotten a new one for a while, although I do appreciate the two people who left reviews at the beginning of the year. Thank you very much. You can leave comments at the blog, hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. And 
Well, that's it. That's enough ways, I think. Don't you? Yeah. And I guess that really is all. Except to say, of course, as always, thank you for coming by to listen. I really appreciate it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be reading this out loud, and I'm having a great time doing it. So thank you very much. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.